you know, when you look at the literature and you look at the systematic reviews that have been done, when you look at all the literature that you've published that's come from your group, um, why do you think there is still debate? People are, it's, it kind of sounds like the, there's compelling data to support the fact that maybe we should be doing one stage and compelling arguments from a healthcare point of view. I mean, we come from Canada and we, we have limited resources. The other thing that I noted when I watched you do that video is, you know, I don't do a lot of joints, but I do a lot of infected non-unions and I treat the infected non-unions like a tumor operation. And I see you guys doing that exact same thing, treating it like a tumor operation. So I guess my questions are twofold. One, why, why do you think there's debate? And, and two, you know, the technique is so critical. Do you think that plays a role with respect to this debate? That's a yeah, great, thank you very much, Brett. Uh, that's a great question, to be honest. Um, and uh, I will, I'm always wondering why this question is not asked on the meetings. Because, uh, so the answer, I don't know the answer, to be honest. Uh, the, as, you sell, as, you, as you mentioned, I mean, the results of the one stage during the last five to 10 years are much, much better. Not much better, but at, at least the same results uh, at, as for the two-stage exchange, at least. And you, you need only one surgery. So everybody should perform this kind of surgery. But first of all, uh, surgeons are a very, very traditional um, profession. And uh, two-stage was was a golden standard for, for, let's say, 40, 50 years. So it's not easy to change for many surgeons. Uh, point two, you need for the one stage, and I focused a little bit on it, a lot of experience and a lot of cases. And as you said, if you are doing, doing a septic non-union, you must exactly define the, the, the um, border to the healthy tissue. And this needs a lot of experience and not all surgeons have this kind of experience and they think it is safer for them to perform the two stage, to have at least one more option, you know? Um, and they are very, very afraid if the one stage fails to do another one stage or two stage. So it's really for many, many surgeons, a big mountain in front of them, um, full of danger, dangerous pathways. So um, I think that's the reason. It's more, it's more mentally. It's not really based on rational. Yeah. There's also it, that. Okay. Okay. No, no, you go. I was going to say, um, just in terms of process, for those of you who have questions, I see lots of questions popping up on the chat. We would love it if you would either unmute and come to video and share your thoughts with the profs here as well. Because this is the opportunity. This is your chance to really interact. So as many of you as feel comfortable, please go to video. Um, and let's, um, for those of you who have questions, I see that, that section has a question. I see that Moal Shazi has a question. Uh, Sunny has a question. Why don't you uh, come to video and maybe ask those questions. While you're doing that, I'll let Brad continue. I would like to add okay. maybe uh, one more sentence about the first question, why there's still a debate. Yeah. Maybe one of the reasons could be because if you look in the literature, if you look at the timeline, we started very, very early. We were the uh, first. Uh, they introduced the one-stage exchange. 
but I think in the past, uh, like in the recent years, there were uh, studies missing presenting the results after the one stage. Because if you look at the two-stage septic exchange, you have tons of papers, but if you look at single stage or one stage, you see that you have an increased number in the recent years. So that's the reason, that could be the reason why the um, single stage is getting more popular worldwide because the people are seeing the results, not only uh, from the endoclinic, they are seeing also from other hospitals, they uh, can achieve successful results. This could be the reason why uh, the increasing trend in one stage and I think if you have more papers, if we have uh, randomized controlled trials, we will uh, have, we can say more, but I think we will have the debate after 10 years also, because the, the surgeons are performing two stages, they prefer two stage because they learned it like the two stage septic exchange, they will follow always the two stage uh, and I think uh, if we have randomized control ties, I think we will have the debate in 10, 15 years or in 50 years, maybe. But, but to that point of the randomized trial, do you believe in your heart of hearts that a randomized trial is truly needed? Do, is, it, is it either too split or do you honestly believe that we need it? Sometimes in surgery, the, the effect size is that, something that you can see. Do, do you, should we spend the money as an orthopedic community on a randomized control? Do you think there's enough equipoise here? I mean, I, I mean uh, if, you, if you look on the, maybe, of course you need randomized control trials, but also you need really huge studies with huge patient numbers. I, I, I presented two cases, compar comparative studies, comparing one versus two states. But if you look at the number of cases, there are 20 more, maybe 100. What we need is, I think, of course, randomized control trials, but we, I think even what is better is we need really uh, high volume, like hospitals, maybe like, like our hospital with huge numbers, maybe uh, like we have done more than 10,000 cases now, and also uh, huge centers performing the two-stage. So if you have a comparative study with maybe not 20 cases, maybe with 1,000 cases from uh, each type of treatment, then you can see maybe the uh, difference or, or the, the similar comparative, uh, the, the, the compar comparable uh, results. And if you have like similar results in those huge numbers, I would uh, say this uh, could uh, be a solution for, to, to, reduce, to reduce the debate. Mm -hmm. Of course, not, you cannot perform the one stage in every patient. We have uh, uh, contraindications, Professor Gerke mentioned already, and here's one of the questions, what about neg culture negative infections? This is uh, one of our contraindications. So in those cases, we are not doing a one stage exchange. So um, it's always good if, uh, if in one staff or in one hospital, not all, everybody has the same opinion and I'm not fully, I'm not fully agree with, uh, with Mustafa because I'm not a big fan of these um, um, randomized trials because there are two groups all over the world. The informed study, they did a quite high number of cases in the meantime, they didn't publish it yet. We are waiting for this since five, six months. And there is another group the, which in, in US, which is uh, led by the um, 
uh, Auto Carolina group from Tom, around Tom Ferring. And they haven't done so many cases yet because in my opinion, randomized trials in such um, severe disease, it's like a tumor, that, that this have some ethical, um, ethical problems um, because if when I'm sure I can solve a case with a one stage exchange, uh, I'm really, really sure that I can solve it with one stage exchange and he is randomized for a two stage exchange. I think this is very critical, you know, um, this is like a tumor. If you do it in tumors, this is in, in tumor surgery. There are not so many randomized trials. I know, don't know any really good one. So I think it's the same with the, with the, um, with the periprosthetic joint infection. It is good that there are some attempts, but I'm not sure if they give us the information that we are expecting from it. If I jump in too, I, I think, you know, this is very, very parallel to anything where there's a huge degree of technical ability as well and judgment involved. So for example, the argument we've used for big trials, big ones have been in, you know, Maybe you maybe maybe all the big trials should be done in the primaries, you know, in the primary joints where you're trying to say, okay, can we make an incremental change that won't be an absolute critical difference? Same thing as when we're talking about hip fractures, big trials versus the acetabular fracture. You don't see very many trials in acetabular fracture care because the technical components of that are so difficult and unique that randomizing would lead to probably more confounding and more problems than it would otherwise. Um, so it's a very interesting dilemma and. The biggest challenge, having done trials my whole life, so, you know, uh, Thorsten, I'm coming from a point of view of, of thinking, you know, can we do a trial? And then I, you know, with some age, a bit more gray hair, you look back on your life and you say, the most dangerous thing in the world is a small trial that has the wrong answer because everyone believes it. They will ignore the large, thoughtful, 20-year you know, series of a very expert group of surgeons because a randomized trial of 50 patients on PJI showed something. And then you will spend the rest of your career battling that one small paper. And that's actually not helping our field at all because if it's wrong, um, the challenge we find is small RCTs, and you know this, Mustafa, and all of us here. Uh, and I know Parag, I see Parag here as well, and a number of others and such. And these are, you know, individuals who are, very, very keenly um, working on developing groups. I know in India has a very large group. I know many of them are represented here. How do we get big groups? So if you can pull off um, a, you know, a you know, sort of in a revision study with tens of thousands of revisions with everyone aligned on something that would make sense, all for it. But this, to me, there are so many, and, uh, and I'm curious what other people think, but I think in some ways, there are so many unique features of your protocol that you have to do the whole protocol exactly the way you do it and compare it to something else because any deviation of that protocol could lead to what we call residual confounding and problems. So anyways, it's a fascinating area. And um, you know, I've been thinking, and we've been chatting a lot about what the next big questions are. Um, what do you think, you know, to, to anyone here, to anyone here um, who, who's on this panel, including those who are, who are listening in, what should be 
if we're going to do one study as a global community that could be done, what would it be in your mind? And I know, Thorsten, um, your viewpoint may be very different now because you're, you're thinking probably not, you know, in a one versus two stage infection is the study to do. I know, Mustafa, you've suggested it is. But if you had to get everybody involved, what would be some of the big burning questions? I think infection is the outcome of interest. But what is it? Is it the type of irrigation? Is it the primary? Like, you know, a 1% or 2% difference. People have spent decades reducing the 2% cardiac mortality rate to 1%. And they've done it. So to think that there's no story in a primary joint with this very simple irrigation technique or something simple um, or frugal, to me, could be majorly, you know, you could solve a big problem because the number of joints, 2% represents a lot of infections in primary care or 1% even. Anyways, I'm raising some hypotheses. I'm curious what people think. You, you're all the experts. I'm just trying to figure out where we would go. I, I, I presented uh, the results about the length of antibiotic treatment. This could be a really important study. So what is the optimal duration of IV antibiotics? Because this is a question uh, we are receiving in the majority of uh, meetings. We are performing only uh, two weeks. And I think, do we need, or do we have uh, to uh, take more, longer antibiotic uh, treatment in specific germs? Like for example, enterococci infections, streptococci infections. And I think in those uh, type of, um, Germs, this could be very, very important to find the um, question for this um, question, uh, to find the answer for this question. Interesting. I think the length of the treatment is you, ask, you, you mentioned, let's ask the, 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 the okay. participants. So there is Alberto from New York. There is okay. the, my yes. friend Tarak from Pune. There is Idema from Brazil. So many, many people from all over the world. What do you think, Alberto? So uh, first, Thorsten Mustafa, uh, Great to see you and uh, wonderful talks. Um, as a person who has trained in North America and then had a chance to visit your institution as well as a few places in Europe, uh, I can say that the two words that you used in your presentations, which were the most important for me, are debridement and standardization. And I think that was what impressed me in my time is that all of the septic surgeons there do the same thing. And in some institutions like the one I'm in right now, we can't even agree as to what irrigation solution we should use, or if we even turn the room over or not, which I know is something that you have never done in all of your experience. Wow. So to me, I think as I'm interested more in the pathogenesis of infection, to us, two weeks of antibiotics is something we never do. We give a huge dose for a long period of time, but really we have to go back to the pathogenesis. It's biofilm and it's bacterial infiltration into tissues. And the fact is in your technique, in one fell swoop, you're able to eliminate the biofilm and maybe not all, but enough of the bio burden through your radical debridement that then the antibiotics and the host immune system are able to take care of everything. The answer as to why a two stage would be worse or would be the same as a one stage doesn't make sense because if we're doing the debridement and then we administer the high dose antibiotic cement, we should have achieved the same thing as the one stage. So as a person actually who does a lot of two stages because of the host and the concerns of the immune system that we have in our population, 
My main concern is when I'm thinking about doing a one stage, it is technically frightening. We're removing a huge amount of bone. The reconstruction is more precarious. The post-operative care is more dangerous. And patients are really coming in saying, how can I get back to function and independence? So it's very hard to tell them I'm going to amputate a portion of the soft tissue envelope. But ultimately, in your institution, you're able to get that, you know, they may, may make that work. And I think it has to do a little bit with the antiseptic solution. So I'm doing a lot of in vitro work to see what works on biofilm. We still don't really know that. A lot of the data that we have is over 10 years old and even comes back to open fractures, which Professor Bandari worked on many years ago. Um, and that still continues to be the, the, the voice of reason. So I think we have to do better in learning how we can kill bacteria in the immediate operative time. That's the interesting thing for me. And then that's how we can have a more standardized surgical approach. But the fact is we don't all do the one stage in the same way, and that's a problem. Well, can I just jump in on that one point on irrigation solutions? Is it reasonable, like as right now, when you talk to some groups, they'll say you can only use iodine-based because that's the only thing that, that's safe. Then you go to another group and say, no, no, you can use chlorhexidine-based. My, my simple mind says, wouldn't it a very simple, frugal, rapid 20, 30,000 patient study we could do, and I'm being serious, we could do very quickly, um, would be just looking at three, three options, you know, or some combination thereof. Am, am I missing something? Like, what, what, why is there such a strong perception that only iodine is the, is the uh, irrigation solution? We are using, instead of iodine or chlorhexidine, we are using polyhexa, uh, polyhexanide solution, yeah. which is yeah. a very, very good solution. So, but it's, that's a great that's a great proposal. So that's easy to perform. Right. In the consensus meeting, we came to the conclusion that probably iodine is the best one, but it's, it's driven by some groups, of course. Of course. Always, yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. But uh, it would interest me. So, Parag, are you there? Parag, just your picture. <laughs> He's around. Sachin, find him. But you know what? But, 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 but Sachin is, and I know you guys are all linked with the ski group. Sachin, maybe you can speak to this issue. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Mohit, for organizing this, and uh, hello to Thorsten, and thanks, uh, Hi, Mustafa, as well. Yeah, so um, it's, I think, a really pertinent question, and I did have uh, a chance to hear uh, Mohit speak to us uh, when he was there in India about uh, looking at this particular study here. Now, the thing that uh, really I feel is of uh, concern is that the whole philosophy or the most important point that uh, all of you drove across was that you can do a one stage only when you have identified a bug properly. But unfortunately, with so many methods of identifying bugs, we still don't have a gold standard of how do we identify a bug? Do we all do a three-day culture? Do we do a seven-day culture? And based on that, can we have certain recommendations from the group, uh, you know, we did speak about them in the ICM meeting, what would be the best way. But, uh, you know, I mean, what would be the ideal bespoke way to really identify a bug would be something that would interest all of us across uh, the whole world, of course. And coming back to Mohit's question, what about irrigation? I think that's a really pertinent question because uh, it's probably six evidence that all of us follow here that, you know, I feel that this is good for us and nothing more than that, it's worse than expert commentary there. And it would be really a fantastic uh, thing to really have uh, sorted out to, you know, uh, really 
have some concrete evidence on the same, not just what goes in the solution, but how much goes in the solution as well. How many liters of cell? I think that's also pretty important there. I think that Pedro raises a good point I see here. How, how much of the, and I'm not sure where he is, in, but he, you may want to comment, uh, Pedro, um, on that quality of debrisement and, and like how much confounding does that play? Because the debrisement is huge here. And then you're talking about randomizing the solution. Yeah. Hi, I, I'm Pedro Foguet. I'm a Spaniard working in England. I was passed the, the link to this, to this Zoom talk by one of my colleagues in the department. I heard of, well, I know many of you at Torsten. I, I heard of Mohan Bandari through my good friend, Matt Costa from, from Oxford. And uh, many of your names are familiar to me. So, so I'm interested in PGIs. I was in the consensus meeting in Philadelphia as well as one of the British uh, delegates. So I, I think, you know, it, it would be great. And I'm also part of the, of the trial run by, by the guys in Bristol. We contributed numbers of, of infected hips, which we were happy to randomize to one and two stage revisions to, to build up the numbers, yeah, the informed trial. But I think, I think that when we talk about infections, the, the, the basic intervention, the first thing that we all do is debridement, you know, and what, what you consider a good debridement might not be that good for me or vice versa, you know. And the, the, what I would want to have is a very clear, you know, uh, guidance on what represents a good debridement. I know that Torsten and uh, most of you do a good debridement, but since we haven't got that foundation, you know, any, any attempt to do research comparing results becomes quite, quite irrelevant, you know. Uh, I can tell you of my own experience. Uh, when I started doing infections 15 years ago, I was not very confident about my debridement. I'd been a fellow in Oxford. I was doing everything in two stages. Uh, I got fed up of seeing my patients, you know, dying in hospital from other complications because in Coventry, although it's Britain, we are not very affluent and we had to keep them in hospital in between the stages. And, you know, they were petite old ladies and gentlemen getting infections uh, of the waterworks or chest or getting diabetes and so on. You know, and then I, I visited the endo in the clinic, which was that mythical place, and I, I was very well treated, and I, I loved what I was seeing there. And, uh, you know, I moved on from the spacers to the Kumars, which is what you were showing, more or less, Torsten, yeah? Uh, poorly cemented joint replacements. Patients were able now to leave the hospital, and, and uh, you know, and then as I got more and more confident with my debridement, I started cementing them, the prosthesis even better than what I had been doing at the beginning particularly in all the people who didn't have much of a reserve to come back after a few months for another stage, yeah? And, and then we moved from that, and now we are in a phase where we are so confident, and we also developed an MDT. We have good infectious disease specialists, good microbiologists. We are a group of surgeons, all of whom have been trained by me. And we, we, so we, we help each other, we support each other. We are in a phase where, where we haven't even taken the culture-negative PGIs, and we do them in one stage for some, some specific cases, you know? And, and we are about to publish our results where we are showing pretty, pretty good survivorship with those patients with excellent functional recovery, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, I just wanted to be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, say something which is not what you always say in those meetings, something crazy. Pedro, you can for this comment, Pedro. So, but the question is really, that's a really, probably the most important question. What is a good debridement? And I'm telling always my fellows, if you think you have done a very good debridement and finished your debridement, then you start with your real debridement. You know, 
that that's that's my 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 philosophy. So, but as as Mood said, so there is the technical skills are playing a big big role, and you and exactly what you have done is uh, typical. You did more and more accepting exchanges, and then you shifted from the two stage to the one stage more and more, and this is what we see in many many specialized centers all uh, all over the world. Probably it has really a lot to do with, as I mentioned before, with experience. Yeah. And I think it just gets once again, Pedro, I think what you have done is you've re-emphasized how difficult it is to do a high quality randomized trial in a very difficult area where technical ability is so important or technical experience is so much more important. And so even if we did a simple study and we have to adjust for that, then you get back into all the confounding, right? Because if something shows a big, um, if something, if it just happens that the surgeon who is the more superior um, and com complete debrider, that surgeon may in fact have better outcomes. And we're going to somehow wrongly attribute the intervention to that side, which is in error. And that's the danger that we face. And that's why when we're thinking of the big platform global trials, Large questions by definition have to be very simple. The more complex the question, the more you have to start thinking of going to experiences. And I'm using the example of the endoclinic as one important experience and thinking, how do we standardize, educate, and then, then think about how to do that go forward. But we could be spending many, many, many hours here today, friends. And uh, the challenge is that we are at our hour. Um, what I would recommend we do is if you like this format, we'll reconvene at another time and I will find a way to uh, entice our good speakers back um, to talk a bit more about these issues. I think there's lots we can discuss and that'll come up from it. Lots of questions that were posed in the uh, comments. Uh, we'll encourage our speakers also just to you know, uh, follow up and give you some of those insights. But again, today was really about this and uh, I'm hopeful that you found this to be a slightly more engaging than a webinar format. It's been our hope. I cannot thank um, Mustafa and Thorsten enough. And I think I will leave the last word to our keynote, Thorsten, maybe to end this session. Oh, thank you so much. That's a great honor. So to be honest, I did, let's say about 50, 60 webinars during the last four or five months or four months. And this was by far the most interactive webinar I've ever attended. So congratu congratulations to you, Moet, because I like this format. I had a webinar last week with 5,000, no, 7,500 Chinese doctors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> it's nothing. So in this format, congratulations, that's a great, great format. And I'd like to thank you really. So this hour went on like this. And thank you so much for organizing this mm. webinar, which is probably the, the best form of education at the moment under these difficult circumstances. Right. Thank you so much. And thank you all for attending this meeting. It was great. Thank you.